Thank you, Valentina. I'm not sure you caught what she said there, uh, but she said two weeks ago they had a student at youth ministry for the first time give her heart to Jesus Christ. And that is something to celebrate and to thank God for. Amen. These are, let us not take lightly when someone makes this decision that decides that they are going to leave their way of living and follow God's way of living. And we thank God for Valentina, James, those are working with our students and that God is working, and God is at work, even though some things might look a little different right now. God has not stopped his purposes and his work in the lives of individuals and families. And so this is what we're here for. We're here to see people understand and follow and learn to love the Lord and have God change and affect their life, not only here, but for eternity. So we celebrate when that happens in someone's life. Amen. I'm getting a little bit of ringing here, uh, Emil. I'm not sure if I'm the only one hearing that. If I am, then I'll deal with it. But if anyone else is hearing it, if you can adjust that a little. Um, one more thing to, uh, to let you know about uh, our kids' ministry. A couple things. We've, we started it back at the beginning of the month, started with kids' meeting and during our 1045 service. And we wanted to get a handle on how to do that. And we've kind of gotten a handle on that. So we'll kind of let you know where things are going from here next week. We're going to have kids' ministry, elementary kids' ministry, kindergarten through grade 5, available in both the 9 o'clock and the 1045 service. Again, starting it small, and it's, it's going to be limited, but we're going to start that in both services, 9 o'clock and 1045. And we're targeting uh, possibly early January to start something for our preschool students. As we get, you know, one thing under our belt, we'll open up something else. Preschool is a whole different thing, learning how to do that and, and, and manage them. and so. But well, that's what we're targeting. But here's the thing. We're going to need some help. And uh, we need, and I'm asking, I know I got people on the stream today, but and you may not be able to come out, and there may be health reasons and all kinds of things. Maybe you're not able to be here at this point. But if you are able to be here and you're able to come, and we want to make room for as many people as we can, and we're working on that too, we're going to need some help uh, to do this. So here's what we're asking. If you have a child that's going to be in kids' ministry, we are asking you that one of the people, one of the guardians or parents in your household will at least put your name on a list for us to be willing to help out if we need you to about one week a month. We're not sure you're, we're going to need you. Uh, we're calling it, it's like a COVID reserve list. You know all these COVID reserve lists that like sports teams has? We kind of need that as a church. Sometimes we'll plan workers and then that week, they might call and say, hey, I was exposed, I was around somebody, I can't come, and we need to fill a spot. And so if we're going to do this, we need some help to have everyone work together. We just don't have all the numbers of volunteers that we've had in the past. We are grateful that in the past we haven't had to do this. Uh, we haven't had to, you know, have, because we've had so many loving volunteers that just say, I want to do kids ministry, whether my kids are in it or not. This is what God's called me to, and we thank God for that. But, uh, but we're at a place now where we need some of you parents, guardians, to jump in and be a part of this and at least put your name on a list. So you'll be hearing some more about that from uh, Donna and Melissa in our emails and our communications, and uh, you'll get that if you're parents. So, uh, But I'm excited. We're moving forward to more people. We're making room for more people, and uh, we're making it possible for more people to come, and we're going to do it as safe as possible, but we're going to do it. All right, this morning we're starting a new series on Advent. We're getting into the book of Luke. And we're actually starting the book of Luke as a part of this Advent series, but we're actually starting the book of Luke that we're going to be in it, um, in and out of it, different times in 2021. Uh, we're going to be uh, studying the, the gospel of Luke. The Luke is the longest gospel. And so 
uh, we are going to uh, work our way uh, through that in various ways. We'll, we'll stop at certain times, and then we'll pick it up at other times, but, uh, but this morning is the start of the Gospel of Luke. Whether we would admit it or not, often we believe that if we live right, we will be rewarded. We think that if we behave right, that we'll be rewarded. This is often how we've been taught. It's often how we were raised. And to be honest, it's just often how life usually works out for us. It would be hard, actually, to go about living life if it didn't work this way. But often it does. That if you, if you do right, if you do good, if you do what's right, you'll often be rewarded for it. It starts from the very beginning. You know, maybe a parent saying to their child, if you're good while we're in the store, mommy will buy you a treat. Or it's in a classroom. The table that's the quietest will win a prize. Or you get older, if you keep your grades up, you get involved in activities in the community, then you can get invited to be a part of honor society. Or if you work hard and you meet all the requirements, you can become an Eagle Scout. Or if we get, as we get older, if, if, you, if you work hard and you do everything and meet all the requirements, then you can get promoted below the zone if you're in the military. Or maybe you're at work. You worked really hard to make the company look good. You did a good job. We're going to give you a raise and a promotion. That often we are taught and conditioned with this idea that if you do what's right, if you do what's good, you'll be rewarded for it. It's especially true, you know, we don't have to look very far this time of year where we got elves on shelves and lists that are being checked twice, whether someone's naughty or nice. And we communicate this message that if you're good and if you do what's right, you'll get rewarded for it. There's something about this thinking, though, that I think bothers all of us if we take a few minutes to think more closely about it. Because you know, and I know, that life just doesn't always work out this way. That sometimes you will do what's right, you'll be good, and you'll be unrewarded. That sometimes there's the faithful, unrewarded life that is a reality in this world. We don't like it, we often don't think it's fair, but if we're honest, we know that it's a reality. We don't have to spend too much time thinking about it to think of situations where this is the case. You obediently obey the traffic code. You pull up to that, the, you're pulling up to the intersection and the light turns yellow and you start to slow down even though you could try and blast through it. And you stop at that red light and you wait patiently. And then the light turns green and you proceed through only to have someone ignore the light the other way and sideswipe your car. You did what was right. You did what was good. You followed the rules. And yet you weren't rewarded for it. You did everything right in school. You did everything they told you to do. You were tops in your class. You were in every club that you could. You lost nights of sleep to complete your work, to get it all done, and you still got the rejection letter from the college of your first choice. 
You saved yourself until marriage, and all you ever wanted was to be happily married to a man who also loves the Lord, to have children, to raise a family together. But the marriage has been hard. Jobs have been scarce. And pregnancy hasn't happened yet. And it isn't always the case that the faithful life is the rewarded life. You serve at church, you give faithfully of your time and your money, you go to church, and yet sickness still came to your family. Yet your child still suffers. You pray, you read your Bible, you have others pray for you, and you still struggle with that addiction. No matter what, you can't seem to get it out of your life as hard as you try, and you're just waiting and trying and hoping And sometimes we have this faithful life that seems unrewarded. There are times when our faithful and righteous lives are rewarded with heartache and pain. Times when though through no fault of your own, not due to anything that you have done, either pain comes or something you wanted did not come to be. When those times come, you might find yourself asking, why live a faithful life? when it does not get me what I want? Why live a life of righteousness and goodness when it all seems so random? What's the point of staying faithful to an almighty God if doing so still doesn't get me what I want and leaves me with unfulfilled dreams and pain? Does God in his word have anything to say to you in this situation? You wouldn't be the first to wonder this. In fact, at the start of the Gospel of Luke, if you want to turn there, we meet a husband and a wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are wondering what God is up to. The Gospel of Luke, if you're using your Bible in the chair racks, is uh, about page 855, and you can turn there this morning. And despite living faithful lives, For Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was at least one big area of their lives where they felt unrewarded by God. That they felt like they were the faithful unrewarded. Let's look at it, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 7, and then we're going to stop for a minute, and then we'll proceed through the passage this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let me pause there for a second because we're going to jump into the Zechariah and Elizabeth story. Let me just tell you what Luke's doing here because we're starting the Gospel of Luke together. So here's what Luke's doing. Luke was a physician living in the first century, just after the time of Jesus. And he's writing to a, a, we think, a young man named Theophilus. And he writes the Gospel of Luke. And then he also writes the book of Acts. And what Luke says is, A lot of people have have undertaken to write this. I'm going to write an orderly account of everything that has happened in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the start of the early church, so that you can know with certainty that what you have come to believe is true. 
And so he, he says, I've talked to eyewitnesses. I've researched it. He's a physician. And you'll find as we go through the Gospel of Luke that it is one of the most detailed and orderly accounts of the life, death, resurrection, and events of Jesus Christ that we have. And he says, this is what I'm doing. And so that's what he sets out to do. So then he picks up the story. In verse, uh, we're picking it up in verse 5. Here's how he starts. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you? Righteous and walking blamelessly in all the commandments of God. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. These are the things we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here's how we meet them. We've not met them before. In fact, they disappear off the pages of Scripture very quickly after this. But here's what we're told about them. They're old. They're faithful. They're righteous. And they have no children. And so they're faithful and they're righteous and, and they continue to serve the Lord, but they are unrewarded. And you might think, well, no children. I mean, that's sad, but it's, you know, I, I don't know. You know, people have, have dealt with worse things and it's true maybe, but if you're the one that is missing the child, it's a huge amount of pain. But also beyond that, in the culture they're living in, it had much more implications than even our own culture because the one who didn't have the child was often looked at as someone who was being judged by God and not loved by God, not under the blessing of God. They suffered the reproach of their neighbors. What's wrong with you? What did you do to deserve this? But not only that, their legacy would end with their marriage. Zechariah would have no one to carry on his name, and anything he had as possessions would probably be inherited by a household servant, and he would be forgotten off the pages of God's story and history. And yet we are told that they are faithful and yet unrewarded because they're old and still have no children. And maybe some of you have felt that way, that you have been serving God, that you've been faithful, and yet it has not been rewarded. You've prayed and have not received what, you, what you're asking for. It feels like things have gone silent. When you try to live faithfully and God is silent and you feel stuck, maybe it feels like if you're on your computer and the video starts to buffer. You know what happens? You know, you're up, maybe you're on a Mac and you get the circling beach ball and you see it starts and you're like, oh no, what is this? What do I do, right? The, the beach ball starts making circles or you're on a PC and you get that circle, it just starts going around and you have a choice in that moment, don't you? You have a choice of what you're going to do. Will you wait? Or will you click away? Will you wait for, for it to see, is something going on in the background? Is something going to happen if you wait and if you give it time? Do you stick around or do you close the browser, click away, and go on with your life? When you expect God to do something and he doesn't, it's like his story is buffering. Our relationship with him feels like it's buffering. And what do you do in that moment? Do you stick around or do you click away? In the midst of his own buffering, one where God had been silent, Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. They're faithful. 
and they're righteous. But what do you do in that moment? Well, we can take a we can take a lesson from Zechariah because when you feel faithful and unrewarded, keep being faithful. When you feel faithful and unrewarded, keep being faithful is the message of Zechariah. In his current situation, Zechariah remains faithful to his priestly duties. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Verse 8, it says this. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So here's Zechariah. He's old. He has no kids. He's prayed, no doubt, again and again, God grant us a child, and it hasn't happened. And now he's old, and he's given up on it. What does he do? He stays faithful to God. He continues to minister as a priest in God's presence. He continues to go before the Lord in his temple. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, it feels like you've hit pause. It feels like things aren't going, but I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to keep ministering. I'm going to keep going to the temple. I'm going to keep serving you. And on this day, he gets chosen to burn incense before the Lord. And you think, well, what, is, what big deal is that? This happens, this possibility of burning incense before the Lord for a priest of thousands of priests, up to 18,000 priests in the day of Zechariah, it would happen. You could get that privilege once in a lifetime, and not everyone ever got it. It was chosen by lot. And Zechariah, late in his life, it means he never got that privilege before. Two weeks every year, he would go to the temple to serve and do his priestly duties. And for every year, he was never chosen. But this day, late in his life, he's chosen by lot and gets to go in and offer incense before God. An amazing privilege. He stayed faithful. He wasn't alone in his faithfulness amidst God's silence, though, because in this micro story of Zechariah, it's actually a part of the macro story of what God's telling. Here's the re reality. Before this time, before the gospel starts, here's what I want you to do. Go, go, go to the Old Testament in your Bible, just before Matthew. I want you to go just before Matthew. Go to, go to the first page of the New Testament. Here's what it looks like in my Bible. Probably looks like this in your Bible too. Blank page. If you've got a pen and you and you write in your Bible, here's what I'd ask you to write on that blank page. Four hundred years. Because between the end of Malachi, between the last prophet who spoke in what we call the Old Testament, but the Jewish people simply would have called the Scriptures. And the first words that we have in the New Testament, there were 400 years. And what we see in the micro story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we really see in the macro story of God's people that they have had to be faithful even though God has been silent. There has not been a word from God. There has not been a vision from God. There has, God has been seemingly silent for 400 years. And in those 400 years, the Jewish people have been conquered by Alexander the Great they were subject to the Greeks in the 4th century B.C. Then they were under Egyptian rule for part of that time. Then they were under the rule of the Syrians for part of that time. For about 100 years, they had some degree of freedom from 163 to 63 B.C. under the Maccabeans. 
and they had some degree of freedom. But in 63 BC, uh, General Pompey under Julius Caesar comes in and the Romans take over. And in all this time, they have to preserve their people. They have to preserve their ways. They have to preserve their trust in God. And yet God has been silent. There's been no word. And they stay faithful. When it feels like our relationship with God is buffering, the temptation is to click away and to move on. But what you may be experiencing is nothing new. How many times have we started things and because we have not gotten what we want, maybe we stopped and we clicked away. You prayed and when God didn't answer him, didn't answer the way you wanted him to, you stopped praying. You stood up for truth when it was difficult and instead of people turning to God, you lost friends, you were shamed on social media and so maybe you clicked away and you stopped standing up for truth. Because being righteous didn't get what you wanted. It didn't get what you thought it would get. And yet the message of Zechariah and the message of God's people is that when it seems like God is silent, when it seems like the pause button has been hit, you hit play on your faith. When it seems like it's buffering, you stay faithful to God and what he's doing. And here's the reason why. The reason why is because even when he's silent, God is still at work. Even when it looks like he's silent, even when it feels like it's buffering, it does not mean God is not at work. I heard one pastor say it this way this week to me. He said, God is Lord of your steps and he's also Lord of your stops. Pastor Eddie told me that this week. And I thought that's a good way to put it. God is at work in the silence. And he breaks the silence. Let's pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 1 of Luke. It says this. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. There appeared to who? Zechariah, right? He's in the temple. He's offering incense. Never been able to do this before in his life. He's an old man. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And I had to think Zechariah was like, does this happen every time? <laughs> Like he'd never been there before. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What Zechariah learns is even when he is silent, God is at work. That Zechariah was old, that he didn't know it, but God was still at work. 
that even in the 400 years of silence, God had been at work preparing everything in the world so that as Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God could send his son into the world. When everything had been prepared, when all the language was right, when all the world was right, so that at the perfect time, Jesus could come and that his message would be able to be spread throughout the whole world that now spoke a very similar language because they'd been conquered by the Greeks and the Romans. And at the very fullness of time, at the very right moment when God was working things without speaking, that now he was going to act. Because just because there was silence, it didn't mean God was not at work. And our story, we always must remember, is simply a part of God's larger story that he's writing. Am I saying that if you do the right thing, God will give you whatever you want? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Sometimes you will be faithful and righteous, and you will be unrewarded in the way you want, but it does not mean God is at work. What I'm saying is do not take God's silence as the end of the story. And do not stop being faithful even when you feel unrewarded. We sing it pretty often. In fact, we sang it last week in Burlington. Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. There's another song that I heard recently on Caleb. Maybe you've heard it. It's called My Father's House by Corey Asbury. And there was a lyric in that song that when I heard it, I listened to it, and, and the lyric says this, and the story isn't over if the story isn't good. And I remember hearing that lyric, and I don't know if you're like me, what I do when I hear things and I'm listening, I process them theologically and I think about them, and I say, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. I'm like, that's a catchy lyric, but is it true? It, did he just write it because it, it fits with his lyric scheme and the song and, and it sounds good and it's catchy and it feels good? Or is it true, biblically and theologically, that the story isn't over if the story isn't good? And I remember driving and listening to it and thinking about what the Bible says and I had to say, yes, it's true. God's story isn't over if the story isn't good. It's true because the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me beside still waters and he provides a table for me even in the presence of my enemies and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's true because all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It's true because God will not fail to reward even a person who simply offers a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It's true because I've read the end of the book and it's a good ending. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. And so God is at work even in the silences and when it feels like God has hit pause, that's when you and I are to hit play on our faith. It's easy to assume when we don't see God doing what we think he should do or the story is over. But the question is not whether God will finish his story. The question is, will he find you faithful even when he doesn't write like you think he should? Even when the story is not going the way you think it should, will he find you faithful? Or will you click away because you don't get what you want from God? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. That's what trust is. It's trusting God even when things don't seem to be going the way you want them to go. In the New Testament, there is no one who is more faithful than Paul. 
And yet Paul, going in prayer to God, did not always get what he wanted from God. One time in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, asking him to remove something, that it should leave me. But he said to me, Paul says, God's words to me, where my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul, I'm not going to write the story the way you're asking me to write it, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'll give you the power to live within this story. Have you ever looked at someone like Zechariah and wondered what was wrong with them? How can they be so happy when life is so hard? How can they continue to trust God when bad things happen? Ever wonder why they don't just wise up and reject the whole thing? They don't because they know something that you and I need to know this morning too. That faithful people know that God is faithful. That what faithful people have learned is that God is faithful. And where have you stopped living a faithful life because God didn't reward you the way you thought he should? What prayers have you stopped praying because God hasn't responded? Where are you going to miss out on God's story? Because you click away. We said today that there's a difficulty that it bothers us to understand, I said at the beginning of this message, when someone is faithful and unrewarded. But there's another life that's difficult to understand. And in fact, I think this life is even harder to understand. And it is the unfaithful, rewarded life. The truth is, Zachariah and Elizabeth were not perfect. Let's finish the story, picking up in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. I'm confused by the faithful unrewarded. But as we approach this communion cup today, I am astounded by the unfaithful rewarded by God. I am astounded by God's grace that says that even when I was a sinner living as an enemy of God, that somehow God extended his love and his grace with me. And as much as I'm confused by the faithful unrewarded, I am astounded by the unfaithful, the sinner, the transgressor who is somehow rewarded by God and we're able to receive the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And that's the story that God's writing. And that's the story that needed to happen. For 400 years of silence, God was at work. And in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, God was at work. See, what they didn't understand is it had to be a miraculous pregnancy. See, God was at work. He was connecting Zechariah and Elizabeth back to the pregnancies and the way he had worked of old, back to Abraham and Sarah who had a child in their old age. And he was foreshadowing what was about to come in the most miraculous pregnancy that ever occurred when the virgin will be with child. And in between that, holding hands with the Old Testament and looking forward to what's new is Zechariah and Elizabeth and this miraculous pregnancy and John being born would come into the world and people would say, what is God doing? Because we haven't seen anything like this. What is God doing? This child must be touched by God. And so we come, and I'm going to ask you to open up your communion uh, cup there, and if you're at home, to get your communion elements out and pull back that purple, that little uh, cellophane on the top there, pull out the bread. Because as we take this bread this morning together, here's what we remember. That there is a God who is so good and so loving and so gracious and so at work that he loved us as sinners. That he sent his son to die for us. That we might have life in him. That he has been so gracious to us that it's not what we wanted and didn't get, it's what we needed and he graciously gave. That we had no right to ask for and we did nothing to deserve and he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And this bread is what we remember that. And so Lord, as we take this bread, we remember, Lord, that we're so quick to call ourselves faithful and good and right and say what we deserve. But Lord, truly, as we approach this and remember Jesus, what we remember is we are no good. We are sinners. And we don't deserve your grace. And yet we are loved by God. And you have not forgotten about us. And your story continues to be written. And so as we take this bread, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the body of Jesus Christ that we remember today as we take it. Thank you for the love of us, even when we have not been faithful to you, that you have been faithful to us. Let's take the bread in Jesus' name. And as we take this cup, Lord, we remember the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That it was shed for the forgiveness of our sins that we might be made new. And just before we take the cup, I want to give you a moment just of silence. If there's anything in your life that you need to confess to God and get right with God, take this moment in your own heart and in your own life before you take the cup and receive and remember what God has done to confess your sins to him. Lord, we 
confess our sins, but we also accept your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that you have forgiven our sins. And we remember that as we take this cup together. Let's do that now. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you that your story is still being written in the macro story that you're writing in all of history and in the micro story that you are writing in our individual lives. Our trust is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and we're going to sing a song of worship in response to the word of God that we've received today. Amen.